Paul Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are joined by a special guest. Paul Zickler is the Senior Sports Brand Manager at Upper Deck. And he has so graciously joined us today to talk about some of the changes to Upper Deck hockey cards and some other exciting stuff coming out. Paul, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. So I want to ask, you've been with Upper Deck for about five years now. Yeah, 2017, so actually going on seven. But um, this is my second stint. I actually interned here the last time the Canucks were in the Stanley Cup, which is a sad memory. But uh, yeah, 2011. So, But my current stint, I've been here since 2017. So, okay, so you interned with Upper Deck back in 2011, and then you came yeah. back, you said, in 2017. Yeah. So what does a senior sports brand manager do exactly? Sounds important. Yeah, yeah, I know it does sound important, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to get products out the door, you know, uh, work with the team, you know, to keep them moving. Obviously, we have some profitability targets and and trying to keep them on track is part of it. But ultimately, yeah, get the products out and uh, also work with the external partners like the NHL and um, AEW, uh, just to name a couple and, and make sure that, uh, yeah, we've, we fulfill their needs as well. Okay, so let me ask, when you were younger, did you collect cards at all, or was cards something that you kind of came into later, like through your career? No, I think I'm a prototypical collector. I think, obviously, when I was young and I played minor league hockey in Vancouver, you know, I was a big Pavel Bure fan, Trevor Linden fan, and collected cards for sure. Um, You know, and then kind of during my later teenage years kind of fizzled out. And then uh, I got back on the bandwagon, uh, you know, when I started interning here and worked at Major League Baseball Players Association. Let me just ask, because I always think this is a fun thing. From your childhood or your younger years or whatever, what was your favorite hockey card or hockey card set? Honestly, I can tell you now, but like, yeah, one of my first beret cards, I think it was his first rookie card, was... uh, sort of the the memorable one that I remember. But I have a couple Sedin Young Guns. They, they were obviously wearing, uh, you know, they're wearing their Swedish colors are in my collection now. I can tell you which product I like to work on the most. Okay. Uh, you know, I would probably say Tim Hortons is up there. Um, you know, we've done some revolutionary stuff with Tim Hortons and we continue to push the envelope there. And uh, I'm a fan of UD1. You know, that kicks off our calendar in terms of the first major core release. We're going to talk about that today, but we're constantly figuring out ways to innovate and, uh, you know, improve our content. And, um, you know, that one's close just because we've done some updates to that recently that we're hopefully going to talk about today. Well, I guess we could talk about that now. (laughs) That's why we're here. We all heard the announcement. So... First things first, let's get the verbiage down. Are we calling this a reboot, a refresh, a reimagining? What are we yeah, calling this? Re- refresh is what we used, I think, on our solicitation doc that I'm, my, our sort of our presentation that went out to customers and was on our blog post. So I, th- I think refresh is, is the way to do it. You know, one thing that's worth notable or noting is that, you know, over the 30 year history, yes, although it's been more than 20 years since, you know, we've had the eight cards per pack, 24 packs per box configuration. There's been points through the brand's history where we've had a 12 card pack, 
you know, don't quote me on the years, but I was looking back, I think it was 93, 94 through 97, 98. So we, we have had in the brand's history at some point a thicker card pack. So it's not totally new to this space, but it has been a long time since we have sort of reconfigured the product. So just to reiterate for our listeners, so what's going to happen in 23-24, starting with Upper Deck Series 1, is that a box of Upper Deck Series 1, instead of having 24 packs like it has in the past for like 20-ish years, it's going to have 12 packs. But the packs are going to have 12 cards per pack instead of 8 cards per pack. But on the flip side, then, you're going from 192 cards per box to 144 cards per box. However, there's going to be less base cards per box and more inserts per box. You know, I don't think you even need to have me on the interview here. You uh, you did your research, Sal. So oh well, I'm I'm I know the what, but you're going to give us the yeah. why. Yeah, he's, he's the stats guy. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I yeah. So first off, like I said, you know, one of the core you know initiatives that we work on constantly with our product team and our entire team is try to improve the content delivery. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think collectors, including myself, and I may not speak for the entire collector community, but I definitely know, you know, a high proportion of them sure like the insert cards. So while there are set collectors and people will still be able to do that, you know, we felt that delivering more insert cards in lieu of, you know, sort of base cards would get collectors excited about sort of the additional content. So that was sort of one of the concessions we made. And um, listen, you know, when I opened a pack of UD1, when it was an eight card pack, I immediately started sifting through to find my insert card before checking out the base cards. And so that is an easy sort of, you know, concession to make in lieu of sort of getting those two additional inserts. I think obviously the change announcement is it's big, especially for collectors and hockey collectors are weird when it comes to overall uh-huh. people. In the, I think, I mean, anybody that's been around the industry would probably agree with that, that yep. they, they're a little different and let's just say they fear change. So I think just talking to people and, and hearing kind of the buzz going around this I would say collectors are looking at this from, let's call it guarded optimism. Um, And, you know, we interact with a lot of collectors, many of whom are our listeners on a daily basis. And I can honestly say I've, I've really heard none of them say that I can't wait for an upper deck to give me less packs and less cards in a box. Mm -hmm. So I guess overall, my question is what, went into the overall decision other than trying to you know boost up the inserts and that kind of thing what was kind of the overall thought process to come up with a drastic change for the flagship product and were you worried that it was going to cause riots in vancouver and montreal uh-huh. yeah the 30 for two-part 30, questions i heard the 30 for 30s coming out about that you know another yeah. black eye for vancouver yeah. no but um I think I want to just go back to your initial point before about, you know, collectors being passionate and sort of to the way things were. And that's extremely true, right? And we wanted to ensure that some of the core tenants of the content delivery remain the same for that specific reason. So the young gun delivery is still the same as it used to be before it used to be 
one in every four packs. Now it's one in every two packs. So collectors are still going to get their six young guns in every box, even though we're going to a 12 pack box configuration. Likewise on the canvas. So, you know, the canvas combined, the base set canvas and the young gun canvas combined to be four per box. And that's going to hold true in the new configuration. So some of those core tenants, content tenants that have been around for more, you know, for a long, long time, we're going to continue to deliver those. You know, it's a, just at a slightly different ratio with the pack sort of configuration. So in terms of the other sort of big other items that you mentioned is we did take the opportunity to add new content in addition to sort of the configuration changes. So uh, some of the new content is we've added four base set parallels. That's going to be new to the product this year. And when I say base set parallels, you guys obviously know that that's going to include the young guns. So we're going to have four new base set parallels, outburst silver, the deluxe outburst red, and the outburst gold parallel. And three of the four are going to be serial numbered, right? And that includes the outburst gold, which will be the first ever one of one young gun. So, um, so you brought up the elephant in the room, the one of one young gun. That's what yep. everybody wants to know about. Yep. So in lieu of sort of reconfiguring, and we did understand obviously that some of the base cards and total card delivery was going to be less as we added some additional content as well. And, you know, those new base set parallels are going to be in addition to the high gloss and exclusives. Uh, it should be the other way around. The exclusives in the high gloss that have also been a core tenant to the delivery. So, you know, there's never been a one-on-one young gun. You know, we had some debate, strong debate about adding that in, you know, but what better year to do it with the generational talent with the next Connor joining, um, you know, the NHL highly anticipated debut of Connor Bedard. You know, I've heard rumors that this was in the works for a while and it was just kind of backburnered for a little bit any truth to that or is this something that kind of was motivated a little bit by connor number two yeah no i think it's been on the burner for a while we're very strategic with sort of the parallels that we release and you know as you understand we've we've done a, a great job establishing the values with the high gloss and sort of the exclusives and we don't take it lightly when we add to that sort of, you know, delivery model. So I can just say that it was highly debated. And, you know, I, I think bet. that it's going to be a unique thing. It look, These outbursts, parallels look substantially different than sort of our base design, which includes the exclusive and high gloss. But it was very well discussed. We put a lot of insight into it before sort of ultimately bringing it to market. Let me ask a question about those parallels. So those that collect physical copies, but also have gotten involved with EPAC over the years um, are well aware that, you know, you have the melding aspect of the cards and combining the base cards to make the silver foil parallels and the speckled parallels. Are we doing away with those in place of Outburst? Or are those also going to be available through EPAC? Or is yep. there going to be a crossover or? Nope, there's not going to be a crossover, at least not as the plans now. The stacking parallels are going to continue to remain on EPAC. And we had this same discussion, honestly, you know, obviously I hear it through sort of, you know, the people that are still around, but it was highly debated, you know, when we launched those sort of stacking parallels on EPAC, similar to 
how it's getting debated now, now that we've sort of released the four new base set parallels for 23-24. So we've definitely seen this conversation before, and it didn't take out or diminish anything away from our sort of base young gun values. It just expanded upon it, and that's what we're hoping with these additional base set parallels. They're extremely low numbered, you know, and they're extremely differentiated on their design, but it's definitely going to add value. And I'm just anxious to see, like everyone else, how they end up performing on the secondary market once they're released. It'll be interesting to see the see them live and in person, because I imagine you have these on maybe like a heavier foil board. Um, I believe, yes, there are on a foil board, but it's, okay. I think it's standard. It will still be 20 point. Most cards, all cards in this product are 20 point other okay. than mem cards. I mean, um, the preview images look pretty cool with the erasure of the background and yeah. instead have that, that kind of yeah. that burst effect that, that they've got on them. So for sure. Yeah. And we wanted to make sure that the, the design was clearly differentiated, right? That was another aspect. The other thing I want to note, just because you mentioned sort of the reasons for making the change, the other thing is obviously a thicker pack, less cards. You know, it's easier from, uh, you know, there's efficiencies on the pack out and the production line. There's also environmental sort of benefits to that because we're obviously wrapping less packs. It's less time on the line. Any of the blasters, those get hand packed, individual packs. So all of those two, there's going to be some efficiencies both on the production side and materials side. So production, because the production costs have gone up over the years, especially the last three years, I'm going to guess that's a lot of this decision was kind of a production cost Honestly, cutting the 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 cost was less of a factor time of pack out i think would be one uh just efficiency obviously we had tons of roadblocks in covid we're getting out of them but it wasn't just the cost factor or production capacity it was kind of a myriad of factors but definitely it helps us from the production efficiency side Sal, I'm taking over like the whole show. So you no, need man, to ask you're, something. You're crushing it. <laughs> you have a great train of thought going. I didn't want to derail it. So just what we're talking about, production costs, the time that it's taken, you know, making these more environmentally friendly, using less packaging materials, you know, efficiency. I get all of that. That makes perfect sense. Not everyone is is um, shares the same logic pattern as I do that's in the hobby. That's what um, makes the hobby so good. Yeah. And uh, we got a lot of folks out there that say, oh, well, Upper Deck's only doing this to appease the breakers. Um, um, I'm, I'm yeah, sure no, you've probably be, heard that. That Yeah, for sure. And definitely the breakers will likely like this model because it's less packs that they have to open. Another benefit that on their side, they're probably going to appreciate for sure. Um, well, and certainly know, the fact that they don't generally ship base cards and they'll have way less of them to deal with. Right. Correct. So, you know, that's a very valid, you know, feedback. And I think they're going to they're going to appreciate this change for sure. But like I said, there's another a number of other considerations that are going to benefit, hopefully, the hobby collector as well that purchase it in the store, like we said, with the additional inserts and some of the additional considerations uh, with some of the new parallels. See, I kind of go both ways on this change. Like Tim, I like to build base sets. And if there's too many inserts, then I feel like it's keeping me from completing a base set, especially when those inserts are parallels. But at the same time, like you yourself said, you'd always go to the middle of the pack to look for that insert before you look at the base card. So I always feel like if I don't get an insert, I feel disappointed. And if I get too many inserts, I'm also disappointed. 
Now, on the other hand, though, I think that there is a real big problem with base cards. There are too many base cards because you had such a high ratio of base to young guns. You would go to a show and dealers would have like monster boxes of base cards for like a dime each and nobody wants them. And you try to sell a base set. Maybe you buy a few boxes, you make a few base sets and maybe you could get 10 bucks for it on the secondary market because there's just so much of it. So in a way, I'm glad that there's going to be less base cards because there's still going to be plenty of base cards, enough base cards for every man, woman, and child who wants base cards or a base set. So I'm kind of glad about it in a way. I didn't really have a question. I guess I was just kind of... <laughs> you're, one, you're, one, you're on the side that it's a good change. So you yeah. know, I, I appreciate the, the obviously, the, the feedback and you know, you mentioned base cards and parallels, and I think the the one thing that the production team has done good on our side is just to differentiate and create some equitable insert content. It's not just parallels of the base set, you know, whether it's the Dazzlers has garnered some good sort of equity on the market and the population count is another one. They've really done a good job of creating some unique sort of inserts. The portraits is another one that's a flagship to this set. So, you know, there is a lot of differentiation and some unique designs, you know, within this this set and, and innovative insert content, you know, to really differentiate those. And that's what makes, in my opinion, UD1 such a fun break. And, um, you know, I'm excited. Now you're going to get 36 inserts instead of 24. That's only a modest increase. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up a couple of those because there's there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up by about some of those inserts, if you don't mind. It, yeah, um, sure. Let's do it. So pop count. I see that those are now acetate. Yes. They weren't they weren't last year, but they are this year. Correct. So why the change? Well, you know what? Typically our collectors have welcomed the acetate cards, even dating back to the phenom cards from the Tim Horton set. So we believe that going to a sort of more premium stock would help drive even further secondary and sort of value on the hobby. Whether that, you know, you were proponent sort of like the initial design, you know, but we're always looking to sort of elevate some of the some of the inserts, especially when the initial sort of reaction is a good one. And and I heard a lot of good things about this sort of insert. So you know, we don't rest on our laurels. We want to continue to innovate. And that was one that we thought would even boost the insert even further. So it had nothing to do with, well, these look like a graded card. So let's make them plastic like a graded card. <laughs> uh, I would have to ask Billy about that. But no, it's honestly just trying. That was to... my initial thought. I, That's... Uh -huh. So then I was like, well, why didn't they do that last year? I mean, they were plastic. They're always plastic. Yes. That's what graded yeah. cards are. <laughs> You know what? And Billy could honestly, that could have been one of his reasons. Honestly, he's he's always trying to create sort of those unique connections. And that would be one that would would seem like a, a reasonable one with sort of an acetate, you know, sort of one touch. I like the cards that are printed on PETG. I'm not going to even try to pronounce what that stands for. I'll just embarrass myself. But the acetate cards, you know, like clear cut or like I know for some time, upper deck ice cards were printed on like that clear plastic yep. i want all hockey cards to be printed on that has that ever been a consideration it's a challenge especially like that was one and during uh that's one of the substrates that was hard to acquire during covid because mm. of all of the 
plastic masks and use of plastics and, and all of that. So it was very hard to acquire and, um, you know, led to all sorts of challenges. Um, Good old styrene gate from a few years ago. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I agree. I like, I'm a fan of acetate for sure. And, you know, we're always looking for some unique substrates and, um, you know, in the Tim Horn set, we did motion coat last year. You know, this is one that I, that I like as well. I know you brought up portraits too, and we had Billy on the show before, and well, we had a nice long conversation with him a while back. Uh, Did you guys check out where... the initial designs? Yeah, said... yeah. And when we talked about it before, we we heard his his madness when it comes to coming up with portrait cards, and I had a couple of theories going into it as far as future designs. So, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you know the the background on this one or not, but. Portraits is always the one that cracks me up because it grinds people's gears and I never know why, because part of this, the designs are quirky and they're different and they even fall into that quote unquote joke category because they're a fun design and I don't think they're even meant to be taken that seriously, yeah. but yet people freak out about these designs. To me yeah. this year, they remind me of those Royal pet pictures. Have you seen those? Yeah, I've seen people them. get their dogs taken with a looking like a King or a queen or a court jester or something. That's what they remind me of. So yeah. I don't know if that's where the idea came from, but that's you know what? what? I got to give kudos where kudos is due. And, and Billy has always done a good job innovating this insert into new, a whole new stratosphere, right? We had the sort of stepbrothers design, and then mm -hmm. we had the um, uh, Saved by the Bell design, and now he's outdone himself with these portrait cards. And each yeah. one is unique. You obviously can see the Connor in the solicitation presentation, but it's a unique one this year. And uh, I think it's one that the mass majority are going to enjoy because there's some unique cards. Besides Series 1, I know we could talk more about that, but... What other products are you maybe looking forward to coming out for this season or for next season? Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Metal Universe Hockey. Uh, I know oh, yeah. we just, you know, sort of started to release that product. I think it was year two this year, mm -hmm. but that's bringing that product back. That's a lot of fun, obviously, the PMGs and a lot of those historical inserts that we're able to play off of. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm a big fan of sort of, um, you know, the light effects designs and the unique cards. I know everyone is always up in arms about how they grade, but it's an extremely difficult technology to pull off. And that's just a nature of the cards, right? And, um, you know, you go over the history of the PMGs dating back to, you know, the originals with Jordan, and they've always been, you know, maybe a tougher on the grade, but they've really carried secondary values and just the brand equity in that insert is unbelievable. So to bring that back in hockey and some of those sort of retro designs, platinum portraits, the jambalayas, and that's one of my favorite brands to work on. Is there going to be a metal universe for next year? We had what, 21-22 come out in 22-23 so are yeah. we going to eventually get a 2223 metal universe? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that good. Be, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Likely, uh, you know, um, we'll, we'll, I won't give a specific date, but it, we are, we have it in the pipeline. You can and, break it here yeah. first. No, just yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll hold so, you to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it, it, it is in the, in the works. So that, that I see is an annual product. 
Um, obviously, from the technology side, it's a little tougher to pull off, but you can see it. We obviously have Metal Universe champions on our multi-sport side. We've introduced that with some of our other licensees like AEW. So, you know, that's one of the brands that is has long-standing equity here with Upper Deck, and um, to sort of see a renaissance there has been uh, a lot of fun to watch. Okay, I got to ask a question, and you might not know the answer to this, but I got to ask anyways. So Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2, you could buy tins of them at big box retailers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you make a set called Metal, but they come in cardboard blaster boxes yeah that's a why good, that's don't a good point. the metal blaster boxes why aren't they tins wouldn't they? yeah that's that a, good point. a collector's tin of skybox metal see that's why we we solicit feedback all the time i i see the brand fit that's a natural fit and uh you should be a brand manager i like that <laughs> exchange information after the call yeah yeah no just the lead time and production time on tins is challenging you know we used to have a tin with premiere you know, um, but one of the things, too, is how many people actually collect the tins. That's another factor. Right. And, and you know, I think that that would be a good debate on either side, you know, but I think that certain tins maybe weren't as collectible. And one thing that we've done, we've actually really um, the tin is one of the most reconfigured products uh, in the UD1 lineup. Uh, we've moved to a more expensive price point and we've added more content into that SKU to sort of make it more collectible because that's really at the core. You know, the tin was meant to be, was a more collectible item. And, and honestly, I think sort of making it a more premium offering will sort of hopefully make those tins more collectible. And I've definitely had conversations with people in the hobby that could care less about the tin and some that have. So it's a good debate. Another one to chalk it up on the debate board, um, you know, but that is something that I want to see moving forward as those tins really become collector's items. I guess that brings up a good point with the configuration change on the hobby boxes. Is the same happening to retail as well on the packs? Yeah, it's straight across the board. It's going to be okay. 12 cards per retail pack as well. Um, you know, so some of the retail SKUs will get less packs than what we've sort of commonly been used to. And then the tin is is actually going to a more premium price point, and there's going to be an exclusive Dazzlers pack in the tin. Purple? Is purple one of the exclusive inserts? Yeah, that's what I was guessing. No, purple. Uh, not it purple. is not purple. It no. is the red, red, the orange, and the black. Okay. And the black are pretty hard to find. It's going to be a three-card Dazzler exclusive pack in the tin. That just reminded me of something. Connor Bedard. Can I ask Please. a serious question about that since you brought it up? Well, I thought that's <laughs> what you were going to say. I mean, I, if it's I'll, a good question. I, I'll say it. I doubt you'll be able to answer it, but and you probably can't talk about it to any extent, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I think I know, you know what you're going to ask. You know, yo, I'm, I'm going to ask it. Sure. Young Guns, you know, Young Guns Series 1 have traditionally been the holdover rookies from the previous year. Yeah. And exception was made for Lafreniere to get him into Series 1 in yep. 21. Yeah. So with Bedard currently being the hype beast for the 2020s, but without any NHL experience, is there going to be, you know, are we going to see either A, a push to get an exception made for him, B, a delay on production somewhat so they can get pictures 
of him in a NHL uniform or go with number three. We won't see him till series two. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of production, I can tell you we're not going to delay the product. UD1 has always been a staple for the fall expo show in Toronto. Uh, you know, the first first week in November. And that is an extremely important date and time for our hobby community. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, especially with now UD2 and extended in the portfolio, it's extremely important that we get that product out sort of at that time. So we're going to hit that date again, you know, and we did that last year amidst all the challenges, you know, but one of the concessions we had to make up was production timing and therefore going to all holdovers. And um, you did note Alexi Lafreniere, that was an exception. That's the only exception that I've ever heard of. So as of now, which is typically the case, you know, we can't feature new skaters until they skate in an NHL game. So as of now, we don't have any plans, you know, or working on an exception with Bedard. Will I say never be never? You know, I would never say never because we've done it once before. But that's our, our usual cadence. But it's extremely important to hit that November date. And that's what we plan to do for UD1. I appreciate you answering that too, because, you know, you could easily be like, I plead the fifth and move on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I would that's never a- say never, you know, but like I said, typically we don't. And so we'll just have to wait and see. But I think you can expect definitely holdovers for the young guns. There's been history of, of it happening. I mean, you can go back to McDavid or Matthews. They were both in Series 1, but they didn't have the photos. I mean, <laughs> I remember 2015 where there was a contest. Yeah. Know. Yeah, pick, pick no, the photo you want ways, on McDavid's right? innovative ways. We're no longer doing rookie photo shoots like we have in years past. Yeah, yeah, no, we do. You know, but even with those dates, you know, we wouldn't right be able to production. hit sort of November. Yeah, so mm. typically our our rookie photo shoot is in September. At least it was last year around Labor Day. You know, so it's usually in that August time frame. So, you know, still with that, I don't think we would hit our dates. So that's a good jumping off point for a question I had. Obviously, we went through from a collecting standpoint with product not being released in, in all sports just because of all the production delays and so on and so forth. Obviously, you can't throw out a date. But are you guys targeting a certain time when Upper Deck will be caught up with scheduled releases that have been put on the books previously? Like a quarter quarter four of this year, or quarter one of next year, Honestly, that is extremely tough to know and probably above my pay grade. You know, what I can tell you is that we're committed to getting caught up and getting products. Jason on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, (laughs) over the last three months and, you know, looking into April, May, June, we have a lot of big products coming out. And I hope that you guys see that, you know, that we're getting back to, you know, products coming out every two weeks and we've really had a flow. Although, yes. It is split year with some previous year products. It's going to take us time to get caught up. But what we can commit to is getting products out. And I hope that you guys see that. I know UD2, we're only two days away. SPAs shortly behind, obviously, different years. But we're getting sort of those core releases out and really doing our best to get caught up. And we talk about this on our show a lot as new releases and when they come out and we preview sets as they're being released and that kind of thing. And it was just interesting with this announcement with saying, okay, going forward, we're going to change the configuration here. And then, oh, by the way, like a day later, hey, Series 2 is coming out. And it was like, wait, what? 
Yeah. Wait, wait, I can't process all this too much, like all, all yeah. at once, because everybody's yeah. been waiting for series two. So we get the checklist and everybody's freaking out because certain players aren't on the young guns list or whatever. And it's like, listen, people, these have already been in the works for months and months and months yeah. and months. So if your guy just debuted a month ago and he's got 17 goals, sorry. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the reality that well, obviously just, you guys you know, hear. It's a good reality that we're living in. Obviously, there's a lot of new collectors that have been introduced to card collecting hockey cards over the past 24 months, you know, but a lot of them don't have the history and sort of the insights into how the processes go, you know, and that's part of educating our customers, your show, other podcasts, you know, at the shows and all that. But I think it is a benefit because we've got a lot of new people in the hobby, you know, over the past 24 months. Do you see any foreseeable pushback based off of the increase in pack pricing for the upcoming product? I think there's going to be some, but if you look at it at the box level, we're pretty much on par from where we were last sort of configuration. So we were at, I think, a 449 or 499 pack. So, you know, on the box level, it's not going to change. You know, and that was another consideration. Yes, on a per pack price, but on the box level, it's going to be right on par. And that's, I think, a huge win because how many pack purchases are there out there nowadays? I think from my standpoint, I see a lot of more people breaking boxes of trading cards rather than packs. But yeah, on you box do get that. I mean, you definitely get you do. that because you, you do. don't see you don't see that part of it. But, yeah. you know, I think more to if I walk into my you know local card shop and here comes mom and her two kids yeah. and hey, here's 10 bucks. They each get 10 bucks. Go buy some packs. Well, that sum is now one. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, no. And that's true. There's but there's not as much of that. Obviously, yeah. that's not the norm anymore. Yeah. But it's just kind of an exception thing. My concern always when the when the new products come out, everybody freaks out and they're like, oh, well, this is going to be a $300 box or this is going to be a $500 box, $700 in Canada. Obviously, you guys don't want to alienate the diehard supporters, but you have to evolve. And I get it. I think there's a fine line because clearly the manufacturer doesn't control pricing. I mean, you don't control market pricing. You know, you right. make your product, you know what it costs. Once it's out the door, it's out the door. Yeah. But I'm sure... You guys watch and pay attention to secondary market transactions on product. You have to. That's a fair point. Yep. Even if you don't care about it, you got to watch. Yeah, I do. So if you're clock watching on that, especially with the young guns, you know, and you're watching auctions and you're watching sales and you're seeing where these products go, you have to know with this rolling out, whether he's in series one or series two, a Bedard one of one young gun is going to be the biggest card that's ever been produced by Upper Deck up to this point. It just is. It's going to be fun to watch, right? And I'm glad you brought up Bedard because obviously each rookie class is highly anticipated, but it's only rare when you kind of get a, a sort of a generational talent. And, right. you know, it's hard to predict 10 years down the road, but what he's done up to this point with pretty much every world junior Canadian record ever. Same first name as Connor McDavid, who's the best player currently in the world, having his best season. You know, he is probably the most highly anticipated prospect since McDavid. No pressure. What he's done to this point has been pretty amazing. And so I would agree with you the timing of it. You know, we lucked out with sort of launching that one of one. And we'll all just have to wait and see on how the market responds. 
I mean, just thinking out loud, this could feasibly be a $1,000 base card and that young gun, one of one, that could be the first hockey card that's over a hundred grand easily. New hockey card, like current. Yeah, with a new current one. You could guarantee that it's going to, it'll either, well, Blowout already did it with the Topps Golden Mirror thing, so maybe they won't be in on this one. But somebody's going to put a bounty on that card. Someone is going to do it. I would agree. Yeah. It's actually maybe a little cool in a way that there'll be some attention. See, I like my things to get enough attention that they keep going. This you is know, a discussion I, we always have. It's a double-edged yeah, I want hockey well, cards to be popular new. enough that you guys keep making hockey cards. But when they become so popular that everybody's buying them and then I have to, like, I don't say compete with others. I mean, there's always a little competition, but like, you know, if it's super popular, then it's like, okay, now I can't find packs anywhere. At the same time, I think it's kind of cool that, hey, here's a hockey card that sold for $20,000 or whatever, like a new card, not like a graded Gretzky. Oh, cool. Our hobby's getting some attention and it's kind of positive, you know, in, in, yep. in a way. Yeah, it's going to be, like I said, fun to watch. And, and the part of how the market reacts, we have no control over that. You know, that's the unique thing about sports cards. People are drawn to sort of the rookie class, right? And so if Connor Bedard, you know, continues his success and just in general, you know, there's likely going to be some new eyeballs in collecting hockey cards next year. And I think that I can tell you right now is likely going to happen, which is a good thing. That's just one of the ways that the market reacts and which makes the hobby so much fun. Tim talked about how it takes a while for the players to make it into cards, you know, like, hey, this guy just had 17 goals and he's really popular, but he's not going to be in the set of cards coming out next month or three months from now or whatever. Would you just outline the process a little bit of like what it's like to develop a set of cards from like the beginning, like, hey, we have this idea, we're going to make a set called Synergy or we're going to make a set called Compendium or we're going to make a set called Metal Universe or whatever. Like, so from like that idea stage all the way to the production stage? Because there's a lot of things that people don't see or know about or even consider. I think the key thing is is just the timeline. Like on average, it's a 12-month production cycle. And that's from Billy, you know, making the original brief through, you know, the design stage and the building stage and the photo stage and the type stage and acquiring the autograph stage and acquiring the mem stage. But just throwing that sort of timeline out there, you know, that really puts it into perspective. You know, so these cards are getting built long before sort of consumers see it in the marketplace. And what complicated things during COVID is that all of those items became tougher to do, you know, because supply shortages, production lead times increased, production challenges, you know, just in terms of even in the facilities and dealing with stoppages and starts and all that. So that even lengthened more than 12 months, you know, sort of in COVID. Now we're starting to finally get back to sort of some normal production timings, but that's a long time. And that's a lot of steps that I rattled off. And that's really what it boils down to is that these products are difficult to produce. Each year is a new class of, of rookies that we have to put into the products. So it's not the same product, rinse and repeat every year. We have a new sort of checklist every year. And obviously, at the same time, we're trying to innovate and bring some new things to the category. So it is a complex business. And honestly, I've had Lens on the other side working for the licensor, you know, and I, I didn't have the full scope of the intricacies of producing a trading card. 
And, you know, I wish I had this scope all the time because I used to just complain when my release dates didn't hit and, <laughs> you know, why, the, you know, certain things didn't get done. But now I do have that lens. And it's just a very complex process. There's a lot of steps and a lot of different departments that touch each product. But that's what makes, you know, the final product so fun once it finally gets out the door. I know in the past it was announced that there was going to be a set of trading cards for the PHF, the Women's Hockey League. And yep. there was the three cards that were sold via EPAC. Yep. Is that still going to happen or has that been delayed for one reason or another? Yeah, no, we still are in talks and doing sort of a, a box set for this year. We have had some challenges. They're, they're sort of a new property and just establishing and getting photos of each of the athletes and autos and all of the assets that goes into it. You know, I know we did the preview set that was sort of welcomed with open arms sort of with the All-Star game last year, but we are hoping to still have a box set for this season. It's just slightly delayed sort of getting out. What I can tell you is just in general is the growth of the women's game. You know, we're excited to continue to highlight sort of women in, in our products. And, um, you know, we did that with sort of the Team Canada Tim Horton set last year, and uh, we're going to be doing it uh, soon with Tim Horton's Legend set that's going to release in two weeks. So Glad you brought excited. that up because I was going to ask you about that because you All brought right. up working on the Tim Horton set being a uh, being one of your favorite things to do. Yeah, and I saw Tim Horton's Legends pop up. Yeah, and I'm like, I got to ask Paul about this one. Yes, we don't have Tim Hortons in the United States for the most part, and what very few we do. They don't sell cards. So yeah. for those that don't know, obviously Tim Hortons has a set every year that Upper Deck puts out in conjunction with their stores. Now there's a Tim Hortons legend set. So if I don't know anything about this, tell me about that set. Yeah, so um, it's going to be our second Tim Hortons release this year because we did launch flagship in October. And um, the legend set is just going to feature just that, legends of the game. So there's 70 in the base set. I think the base set's 100 cards. Um, there's 75 uh, retired men's legends, and then there's 25 retired women's legends. Wow. And um, the women's are obviously going to be featured in their Hockey Canada sort of photography, but we're talking Jaina Hefford, Haley Wickenheiser, you know, a lot of the key legends. And that's what I was saying, just the growth of female sort of collectors and women's sports in general. I don't know if you've seen some of the women's NCAA championship, but a lot of their sort of uh, TV metrics are outpacing that of the NBA. So, um, you know, that's what I'm really most excited about. You're going to get all of the unique substrates that sort of Tim Hortons is known for, you know, the embossed foil board, you know, lenticulars, canvas, um, you know, but we're really going to be focused on this set is just legends. And, you know, you can still get some packs online for the U.S. collectors. I'm hopeful we can someday replicate, you know, a similar premium, you know, in the U.S. we got to uh, find a chain or somebody to be willing to take this on. Like yeah. Dunkin' Donuts or something. Yeah, and it's it's not just about that, honestly. The other thing that is is sort of vital, and I'm, I'm letting out sort of a, a brand secret here, is you need an integrated brand that also resonates in the sport of hockey. And, you know, Tim Hortons obviously was an NHLer, a darn good one to, at that, you know, and they they invest in youth hockey initiatives. You know, it's from top to bottom. 
you know, hockey's integrated into their brand as well. And that's an important piece of what continues to grow the Tim Hortons products. So any U.S. collectors out there that has some ideas to bring sort of a similar promotion, I'm all ears. And, uh, you know, that's something that uh, is on my vision board for sure. Well, he brought up Duncan because Pasternak does a pretty good job hawking it. So yeah, oh, if, yeah. if him and Kendall Coyne can do it, then yeah, exactly. Well throw some cards can, yeah, he's uh He's um, definitely got that personality that, um, you know, is would be good for that. So National Hockey Card Day, there were some changes to it this year. And that's uh, for our listeners, that's on April 15th, Saturday, April 15th in the United States and in Canada. And I believe in some parts of Europe. I don't know if it's the same day. But my question is, is that instead of having a different U.S. and Canadian set, like you've done in years past this year, it's just the same set on either side of the border, and it's a bigger set. It's going to be 31 cards plus checklist instead of 16 cards plus checklist per country. Why the decision to go with a bigger set that was the same instead of two smaller sets that were country-specific? Well, that's a good question, and obviously I should have my counterpart, Paul, our marketing manager probably would be best to answer that but from my perspective you know collecting is growing the hobby is growing in the us and canada upper deck epac has also helped globalize the collecting we now have customers all over the world uh and now we have distributors in europe you know so overall hockey cards is is a global you know global industry and we felt like it was a good time to sort of bring that together make it a unified promotion, just so that more collectors worldwide can participate. And the honesty is, is that our customers are worldwide now. And, you know, it was more so realizing that this was a good time to sort of integrate it. I'm sure only having one set is a much easier production process too, instead of Uh, multiples. Yeah, but this one, you know, we're not talking the scale of, you know, a, a. massive massive product with all the bells and whistles i don't think it would save us that much honestly from a production standpoint because it's just not on the scale as some of our other products it more so seemed like a natural evolution with where collecting is going and and especially how many new people have joined and and how wide now we're selling hawking cars around the world it's fair and we're excited about the products and the changes and uh, where our industry is currently. Anytime. And I think, you know, the tough questions keep us on our toes. And like I said, I'm happy to share. All right. One last question. You can answer yes, no, or no comment. When can we expect to see Grandeur Coins Series 2? Oh, geez. No comments. <laughs> that was before my time. Was that a product that you collected? Was that a product that anybody collected? Let's be honest. Come I on. still have my one and only grand year coin of Sean Monahan sitting on my desk. You know what? That's one thing. And this is just me with the lens looking outside in as I was in here. It seems like coin collectors had a little bit of different recipe. I think that there's some elements there that we could do. But yes, there was some learning. So I don't see it anytime, at least my little... Business plan, it's not there. You know, I have one or two in my collection as well. So uh, maybe one day it will be worth a million bucks like the next 101 Young Gun, right? Right. We're out of questions. So thank you for joining us, Paul. It was a pleasure. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. 
please write us a review if you get a chance, and please follow us on social media. Tim is at the real DFG, and I'm at Puck Junk. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.